And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah, chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 17 of chapter 1. And just to help set the context for our study this morning, um, we're looking at the life of a man who was a prophet of God, who heard the clear call of God, the word of the Lord, that defined his very existence and his purpose in life. Jonah turns from that purpose, rejects the call of God, and decides to live life on his own, as it were, as his own God or master or Lord. What we see is that Jonah is, number one, avoiding God. He didn't like the assignment that God gave to him, and so he ran from the presence of the Lord. But as we saw last week, Jonah was unable to escape the presence of God because he was God's child. And so when, as a child of God, he turns away, God actively pursued Jonah. He demonstrates a relentless love, even though his son, Jonah, is a rebel. What did Jonah need? Jonah needed radical circumstances to capture his attention. And so God throws a storm at him. God causes him to be thrown into the sea in order to get his attention, to move him from the place where he was to the place where God wanted him to be. So the storm is a mercy from God. It is a grace from God that confronts him in his rebellion and calls him back to the place where God wants him to be. Jonah, after facing these radical circumstances that get his attention, is confronted by God. Okay, we remember last week we saw that ultimately the sailors on the ship cast Jonah into the sea. And then verse 17 of Jonah chapter 1 says this. Under the assumption, by the way, from verses 15 and 16, that Jonah being thrown into the sea was in fact a dead man. Okay, that's the way the sailors thought. They cry out to God and say, God, forgive us for taking this man's life. So in casting Jonah into the sea, the assumption is he is a dead man. Verse 17, and I just love this. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah finally prayed to the Lord. Okay, and I love this transition. Okay, what is God doing? God is saying, Jonah, I'm over here. He's bringing circumstances into his life to confront him in his rebellion, to bring him back to the place where God wants him to be, safe in God's protection. Finally, inside the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord. And I guess if you think about it, you could say, what else would there be to do inside of a great fish? Verse 2, reflecting back on this experience, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And he's really there quoting directly from the book of Psalms. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will again look towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. This is very likely the time when Jonah is, is at first thrown into the water. He is sinking beneath the waves and the torrents as these waves come up and then wash him down deeper and deeper to the point where he knows he cannot get back to the top to get a breath to preserve his life. 
Okay, say, on the edge of death, what does God do? Keep following. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. That is, to the bottom of the sea, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. What is Jonah saying? I'm dead. And there is no self-defense. What is Jonah saying? In my death, I am getting what I deserve. A rebel running from God deserves the judgment. That's the traditional way that we would look at things. But you, and I love this, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, when I was suffocating, when I was near the very end of my life, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And then this fascinating verse that we'll come to in a bit. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation. This fish came from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry ground. Disgusting ending, right? (laughs) It's an amazing picture. But it's It's the nature of this whole story. Fascinating to me. Jonah in this text is being confronted by God. The text tells us that he is saved by a fish. I have read recently through some commentaries. And there's a tendency on the part of commentators to want to explain how this could actually happen. Okay, and they'll cite examples from history about how at times whales have been cut open after they have been killed and they found soldiers inside with all their armor, all various kinds of weird assorted stories. Okay, seeking to find out how could Jonah possibly have survived? Can I give you a very simple answer to that? It was a miracle. Okay, just like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is a miracle, so the death, burial, and resurrection of Jonah is orchestrated by God. God provided the fish to preserve the life of Jonah and to bring him back to the place where God wanted him to be. There is clear evidence here in verse 17 of God's intervention. I don't have to look hard at the great fish. And my challenge to you would be this. Don't look so hard at the great fish that you miss behind the story the great God. Okay, it's, it's so easy to talk about Jonah and the whale. This is not a story about Jonah and the whale. Three out of 48 verses deal with the whale. Okay, the rest of the story is about God pursuing a rebel relentlessly. And as we sung so beautifully a few minutes ago, he, if you're his child, he will never let go of you. So if this morning you're running from God, because there's something that he's calling you to do, there's something about the Christian life that you're struggling with, you're wrestling with, God is seeking by his directives to take you to a new level, and you're resisting him. Okay, he he wants to see you grow and he wants to grow you by his grace and by his mercy. Our tendency, our response typically to hard directives and hard calls from God is to reject them. And to go our own way. And what does God do for Jonah when Jonah rejects the call of God and seeks to go his own way? God doesn't let him depart and escape. What does he do? He confronts him in his rebellion and he brings him back to a higher level. He is seeking to grow him. And what we're going to see as we go through the book of Jonah is that Jonah does not reach a level of perfection. What is he experiencing? He's experiencing steps of growth. Sometimes they're descending, but ultimately there is progress in Jonah's life. Isn't that interesting? Because that's the way it is for us, isn't it? Jonah's corrective measures don't bring about a perfect resolution to his hard heart. 
But it does bring about a willingness to fulfill the call of God in his life. So this morning, how do we move from where we are to where God wants us to be? When will that happen? When will this transformation, this step of progress be experienced in our life? When do we really grow in our love for those around us and begin to take the next step forward? That's the question that I want to ask to you this morning. And I I want to argue from this text just three very simple points this morning. Verse 2 tells us that in his distress, that is under the judgment of God, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You, and this is the key, you hurled me into the deep. Now, when you read that, here's what you should be thinking. Verse 15 of chapter 1 tells us who threw Jonah into the sea. Who was it? The sailors. Okay, the sailors threw Jonah into the sea. How does Jonah see that action? He sees it as the intervention of God in his life. Verse 3, when he's in the sea, he's not blaming the sailors. Nor is he blaming God. But what he is doing is he is acknowledging that my place in this near-death experience is in fact the hand of God. The other thing that I think is fascinating in this is that Jonah is attributing this act to God and he is saying, God, what you have done is just, it is appropriate. It is the proper response to my rebellion. So when do we we move from where we are to where God wants us to be? When do we begin to take steps forward in our experience and walk with God? The first thought I want to share with you this morning is this. It is when we acknowledge God's hand in the corrective measures that he allows to come into our life. And we stop resenting them. We stop blaming them on everybody around us. We look at them and say, God, your desire is to use this circumstance, this difficulty, this storm, this fish to get my attention and to move me from resistance to willingness. You see, that's what's going on. God is pursuing his man. He brings circumstances into Jonah's life to cause him to see his need of God's grace. He's he's knocking on the door of Jonah's heart. And this saving of his life is evidence of what? I am not getting what I deserve. I am facing circumstances that that instead of being merely punitive, which they are in Jonah's case, God is confronting his rebellion. But they are also corrective and gracious steps of God. He's thrown in the sea. He should have died. God, verse 17, provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And for three days and three nights, Jonah will be in protective custody where God can get his attention. God has his man exactly where he wants him to be. And when Jonah realizes this is the hand of God, what happens? He starts to change. He's not fighting and he's not resisting God's call. He's looking at his circumstances and saying, who but God? Could the thought of a place like this to get the attention of his prophet. And we look at our hard circumstances, you know what we tend to do? We tend to resent them and resist them. We tend to blame them on others. We tend to say that God is being unfair. It's not the response of Jonah. In verse 4, notice what he says. He says, I have been banished from your sight. Fascinating statement. Why? Because in chapter 1, where did Jonah go? Verse 3. 
Where's he going? Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, right? To escape the face of the Lord. What is God doing for Jonah? God is giving Jonah exactly what he asked for. He is giving him the consequences of his rebellion, but not the full consequence. He is demonstrating to him grace in this fish that is now the place of salvation for Jonah. It is the means that God is using to preserve his life and to get his attention. God's adversity when it is sent into our life is punitive and redemptive. The aim of his correction is our progress, our growth. What is God seeking to do? Not destroy Jonah. He could have done that. That's what the sailors assume has happened. What is God doing? He's taking Jonah from where he is to where God wants him to be. And he's doing it through adversity. And I ask you this question this morning. Are there storms of adversity that God has allowed to come into your life to get your attention, to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be? How are you responding to those storms? How are you responding to those God-sent circumstances in your life? Don't resent the corrective measures. See them as God's gracious and wonderful pursuit of you. So we will first experience progress, begin to move to the next level in our Christian life when we acknowledge God's hand in corrective measures when we are disobedient and reject this call. Secondly, as we look in verse 2 and 7, we will experience progress when we remember our need for God's undeserved favor and grace. Okay? We will experience progress when we remember our need, when we cling to God's undeserved favor and grace. In verses 2 and 7, you find this fascinating statement. I think first there's this picture of hope and then there's this picture of favor. Verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Given Jonah's heart posture just before this event, what would you expect God to do? He's running from God. He's seeking to flee from the face of God. What would you expect God to do when Jonah cries out to him? You would expect that God, if, if you're coming from a religious perspective, you would say, Jonah has failed miserably in the realm of religion. He's not performing well. Therefore, he's not going to experience God's grace. Why would God listen to someone that's turned his back on him and is running in the opposite direction thinking he has a better plan than God? And that's exactly where Jonah is crying out. Does Jonah expect to be answered by God? I think if you look at what it says, he says in verse 2, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. And what did he do? He answered me. Do you get the sense of that? In my distress, deserved judgment of God. I cried out, and what did he do? He answered me. He, from the depths of the grave, I called, in the place of death, I called for help. You listened to my cry. Folks, do you understand this? This is grace. You can never get so far away from God that he won't respond to your plea for help. He is gracious and merciful. He longs for us to turn and cry out to him. And he comes so very quickly. And what Jonah is saying is God answers the prayer of the guilty. He's a guilty man. He is in rebellion against God. He cries out. What does God do? God responds. What do we tend to do to the people that hurt us and injure us and reject us? We shut them off. We don't answer the phone. Jonah cries out to God, and God is there. For who? For a guilty, rebellious prophet who is rejecting God's call on his life. The other night, my wife and I and our children were driving home from 
Connecticut. We were up there for Victor and Diana's son's wedding. Had a great time. Left too late and got home too early. We were trying to meet someone in New London, Connecticut. And so we got off the exit and took a wrong turn when we got off the exit. Now, my daughters had, had another car with them, and they had the GPS in their car. So I called them on the phone and said, okay, dad is officially lost and asking for help, believe it or not, okay? I don't like GPSs, okay? I'm just gonna, and it's not because they have a female voice, okay? <laughs> I, we're lost. How do we get, it's late, it's dark, there's no one around. We're kind of in, in, in an area that I didn't even know existed around New London. We're kind of in the country. So I call the girls and say, hey, check on the GPS where this bean and leaf place is, a coffee shop that we're supposed to meet this young man at. So my daughter's punching it in and she says, uh, Dad, it's saying satellite lost, no signal. Okay, we're, I'm late, for, late to get to where we're going, et cetera, et cetera. You know what that was? For me, it was pure frustration. We drove three or four, four miles just... Looking for a signal, okay? Do you have anything yet? Get anything yet? Just, uh, okay? When Jonah cried out to God, guess what he got? He got a signal. He, why? He didn't deserve it. It was, what is God, God saying, Jonah, I'm here. You're in the fish, you're preserved. I am here. And he cried, and he already said, he says, he listened to me. When is this written? It's not written in the whale. Okay, this is written later. Jonah's reflecting back on his experience in the deep when he deserved death. What did he get? He got the ear of God. He did not deserve it. When you understand this favor, this hope from God that comes to you as a rebel, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be pursuing in your rebellion. God's going to send the corrective measures that are a demonstration of His grace. And when it finally hits you, you're going to turn and say, God, what in the world am I doing? And He'll fill you with hope, and He will convince you of His grace. And when you call out to Him, He will answer you, not because you deserve an answer, but because He is a God of infinite and amazing grace. This morning, I want to say this to you. If you're here this morning... And in rebellion and running from what God is saying to you, you are experiencing adversity from God. Okay? Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Stop making excuses for your sin. Stop. Turn to God. Cry out to Him. If He answered Jonah, okay, a professional religious man who was in rebellion, He'll hear you. And Jonah writes simply to demonstrate that God is a God of great faith and hope and favor when we cry out to Him in spite of our guilt, He answers us. Psalm 32.5 says it this way. It says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. You know what David's saying? In my nasty rebellion, it's the, it's the story of David's sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 32. In that hard-hearted rebellion, David is facing the consequences of his sin, adversity that is getting his attention. And when he turns to God and cries out, what does he experience? He experiences favor from God. He experiences hope that his sin can be forgiven, that his life can be restored and brought back on track with God. And it is deeply motivating when we understand that in the pursuit, God is showing us undeserved favor and grace. The purpose of this story is to cause runners like us to reflect upon God's mercy and grace, repent of our sin, and turn to Him and find that He listened to me. He heard me. 
Verse 4. Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight. I have gotten what I asked for. And then the next word in the verse is the turn in the story. I have been banished from your sight. I am as good as dead. Sinking down, the bars are closed. I deserve death. And then what does he say? And I just love this simple word. Yet I will look towards your holy temple. But folks, that to me is a powerful and gracious and favorable response from God that Jonah experiences. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. What is Jonah experiencing? Jonah's experiencing a hope that is coming over him. I was thrown into the sea. I should be dead, but I am what? I am alive. And it's a miracle of God's grace. Notice also in verse 6, he says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Picture of death. That's where he's expecting to go. But you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Personal relationship, saving grace expressed to a rebellious sinner. Okay, what is this? This is undeserved favor coming from, as one writer describes it, from an unobligated giver. Okay? What does this story show us at this point? It shows us hope and it shows us grace or favor. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor and blessing from an unobligated giver. Please understand what I mean. God did not have to forgive Jonah. He didn't have to, but he did. Not because he was obligated. Well, because when Jonah got in the fish, you know, he, he really cried out. He was sincere and genuine, and then God had to respond. No, God didn't have to respond. Jonah had rejected him. He's the creator of the universe. The favor that he is experiencing is the grace of God in his life. This is what grace is. It's the undeserved blessing in favor of God that comes from a God who is not obligated to give it, but gives it because of his grace. Illustrate it to you in this way. Okay? If, as a parent, your child has a need, but they've been in rebellion. Okay? They have a need, but they've been in rebellion. You, you respond to them because you have a moral obligation. And in a sense, you have a bit of a legal obligation in the country that we live in. Right? You're obligated to them. So sometimes when we're giving them favor and blessing that's undeserved, it, it's not grace. It's, what are we saying? Well, you're my child. I have to give you this. I'm obligated. Okay? Another illustration. Uh, a teacher at school does a wonderful job. Mom or dad sends the child to school with an apple to put on the teacher's desk. Is that grace? Is that undeserved favor by an unobligated giver? Is it grace? No. Why? The teacher performed well, and the apple exceeded expectations. The apple is what? It's a reward for the good behavior. Okay, another illustration. You have a neighbor who is absolutely rude to you, calls the police every time something minuscule happens, harasses you constantly, then they fall sick. And you take meals to help them and serve them. What is that? That's grace. Do you see? It's undeserved favor from an unobligated giver. Jonah 
does not deserve the blessing of God, but he's getting it. All right, that's, that's what grace is. And that's what is, to Jonah in this story, this is what is absolutely astonishing. And, and the question that I think that starts to emerge is, is this, in this place where he is alive and knows that it is undeserved, he knows that it is the clearest evidence of God's grace, where does Jonah look to find assurance of God's love and favor? Where does he look? Two times in this text, verse 4 and verse 6, he says in verse 4, yet I will again look towards your holy temple. Verse 7, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And what was the temple in the Old Testament? temple in the Old Testament was the place where the favor of God came in response to sacrifice, right? You had the law of God in the Ark of the Covenant that put out all of the expectations of God for humanity, all of the expectations that we fail to meet, okay? They're under something called the mercy seat or the grace place in the tabernacle, okay? What would happen? When people sinned, they, once a year, <clears throat> the priest would take the blood of a substitute, of an animal. That animal would die, and the blood of that animal was taken in and placed upon the mercy seat to, as a substitute, atone for the sin of the people. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of the grace of God. It's there, at the temple, at the mercy seat, that God's presence could come to sinners because of the death of someone else. Okay, and what is Jonah doing? Jonah is saying, I will look to your holy temple, towards the place where your manifest presence and help comes to undeserving people. What is he rejoicing in? He's rejoicing in the favor of God. And so verse 4, he says, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Verse 7, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. A place where the blood of a substitute pays for the sin of rebels and allows them to enjoy the blessing of God. Folks, do you realize that that is the perfect picture of what Jesus Christ does for us? When we are caught in our rebellion and sin and when hope starts to arise within us, where do we look? We look to the cross. Why? Because there, the presence of God can be experienced because on the cross, Jesus took the storm that we looked at last week the consequence of our sin upon himself, and he brings us into his presence with fullness of joy. Jonah here is expressing a hope of God's coming through the blood of a substitute. His sin washed away, him forgiven. In verse 8 then, he says this. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This is an amazing and fascinating statement. Those that worship dead idols, weak and inadequate, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In this story, who is it that is unaware of the grace of God? Who is it? Well, in chapter 1, it's the sailors. In chapter 3, it's the people of Nineveh. In chapter 2, who is it? It's Jonah. Who is he? He's the religious man. He's the moral man. But in this dark place where he deserved death and found life, what is he saying? He's saying, I, in my running from God, I forfeited the grace that could have been mine. And as he turns back to God, what does he find? He finds this undeserved favor. 
coming over him. You heard me. You listened to me. You forgave me when my life was ebbing away. Verse 7, I remembered you. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah, in turning from God, what did he do? He turned away from the favor and power and blessing of God in his life. But in verse 9, what happens? He says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Where is he? Well, he's writing about the time when he's in the fish. What is he expecting? That through this saving grace in the fish, he is going to become a man who ultimately becomes a God worshiper. Not because of deserving, not because he had obligated God to himself, but because of God's incredible and amazing grace. So the third truth that I just submit to you this morning is this. Surrender to God to experience change is motivated by gratitude for his grace. Verse 9, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. What did Jonah vow? We don't know. We don't know in the text yet. It's likely that Jonah is saying, God, I surrender. I submit to your call in my life. Put me back and I will follow you. It's very likely that that, in a sense, is what is implied here. But I want you to notice what he says at the end of this verse. He says, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Verse 17 tells us how salvation came to Jonah, doesn't it? God sent the fish, and it preserved Jonah's life. Who sent the fish? God. Jonah's saying, I deserve to be dead, but I am alive because of the grace and abundant favor of God. What is Jonah experiencing? Jonah is experiencing in this place a pure and undeserved favor that is stunning to him and life-changing at one time. It is deeply affecting him that he in this place of death is alive. And so he cries out to God. He places hope in what comes through the temple. God's grace and favor through the blood of substitutes. And this all in a very marvelous and powerful way points forward to the work of Christ. Points forward to the work of Christ. Jonah surrenders to God because he is overwhelmed by the gratitude that God has shown him. God's grace is changing Jonah. Here's the verse that comes to my mind. When I read salvation is of the Lord, here's the verse that comes to my mind. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The whoever is unconditional. It is unrestricted. It doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter if you're rebellion or walking in obedience. God's grace and favor will come to you when you call to God for his assistance. Why? Because that's how amazing God's grace is. And when you experience that grace, after experiencing uh, measures of God that are corrective, and you begin to experience hope in the midst of those corrections, corrective measures that God's favor can come to you as free grace, what happens? In response to that grace, amazed, what do you do? You say, God, I give my life to you. I surrender to you. You, you, can't, you can't look at and experience the grace of God without in some way saying, God, I give my life to you. Okay, And that, in a sense, is what's happening here. I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, what I owe you. I will make good. 
Jonah is a changed man. And the way that I'd like you to see this surrender is this. The surrender that Jonah offers to God is not the means of his salvation. Okay, the surrender that Jonah is expressing here follows the fish. Okay, jo- Jonah doesn't surrender and then God says, okay, I'll rescue you. Not the way it worked. God rescued Jonah because rescue is, is what? Undeserved favor from an unobligated giver. Jonah doesn't deserve God's favor, but he has it. God graciously rescues and saves him. So I think it's important that as we end, we understand that surrender is not the means to salvation. Surrender is the outcome of salvation. Psalm 51 puts it this way. Call to me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Call to me. What is God saying? God is saying, whatever corrective measures you're experiencing from him are meant to evidence hope and favor to you so that you will respond to God by surrendering to his grace. Out of what? Out of gratitude that it is undeserved from an unobligated God who is loving you because he is a God of mercy and grace. This morning, are you resisting God's desire to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be? What What call of God has he placed upon your life to reach out to someone in need who doesn't deserve grace and you're turning away from it? What call of God does he, through this text, want you to respond to and say, God, I apologize, I confess for my rebellion, and I flee to your grace and favor and hope. Fill me with gratitude for your grace, and I will serve you. He delivered us so that we would glorify him. As we end our service this morning, we're going to share in the Lord's table together. Communion is this. It is our opportunity to rehearse the grace of God in Christ. Okay, It is our opportunity to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's what's fascinating from this story. Jesus will quote from this story of Jonah. This death, burial, and resurrection of Jonah. He will say, forecast the death, burial, and resurrection of himself. And so this this story, this account, causes us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I believe in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, that when Jesus was walking on the road to uh, to Emmaus with the two disciples, as he talked about things from the Old Testament that reflected his cross work, death, burial, and resurrection, I am sure that Jesus pointed back to the story of Jonah and said, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the belly of the earth, and God will raise him up to life. All right, so that as we look at this story, what are we reminded of? We're reminded of the cross work of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection to pay the price for our sin. What do we experience as a result of it? Undeserved favor for everyone who simply turns to God and says, God, I am a sinner. I want to trust in your redeeming grace. Folks, this morning, there are three ways that you can approach the Lord's table. You can approach the Lord's table this morning as an irreligious person and say, you know what? I don't need that bloody religion. I don't need the grace of God. My prayer for you would be this, that you would look to the cross, that you would look to God's saving grace and trust in what Christ has done for you. I pray that God would open your heart to see the gospel of Christ. So you, you can say, you know what, it's just not for me. And, and that's okay. If it's not for you, 
then I would ask you to do this. Don't partake of it. Okay, you are not obligated to partake of it. Don't partake of it. There's another way you can approach it, though. You can approach it as a religious person, thinking that because of my morality and my religious performance, God owes me. Okay, I earn this favor from God. Or I'm going to do this as a means of getting God to love me more. If that's your motivation this morning in taking the Lord's table, here's what I would say to you. Let it pass. Okay, you can't, by taking these elements, cause God to have to forgive you. The only way that God will forgive you is when you come and realize that I am a sinner in need of God's grace. I need favor. And I don't deserve it. Okay, or you can approach the Lord's table with Christian faith. What Christian faith says is this. I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that the blood of Christ was shed to pay the price for my sin. And I am trusting in the cross work of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection as the only means of my salvation. And what am I doing? I'm reflecting back on the temple experience in the Old Testament where the blood of a substitute paid for the sins of others. On the cross of Jesus Christ, what happened? The blood of a substitute paid the price for my sin. He died. He was buried. He was raised again, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale forecasting that the favor of God that Jonah experienced is the favor of God that wants to come to you today. If you've never trusted Christ, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you as we just take a few moments to bow our heads quietly before God, cry out to him. Say, God, today I see that there is this thing called favor, grace, never understood it. Always thought that it was, it was earned or deserved through religious activity. This morning, I realized that by simple faith and crying out out of my sinfulness, I can experience God's saving grace. God, save me. Apply the blood of your lamb, Jesus Christ, my sin substitute. Apply that blood to my life and cleanse me from my sin. And then here's what I would encourage you to do. Come to the Lord's table. Take a piece of bread. Take a, a glass of grape juice. Let it speak to you of the broken body of Jesus and of the shed blood of Christ that takes away our sin. Cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. If you know Christ already, here's what you should do. You hold those elements and you say, God, thank you for your undeserved favor that has rescued me from my rebellion, not because I deserved it, but because of your grace, because of your love, because of your favor in my life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father.